0: Hi, I'm Carlos, co-founder of the Happy Startup School, and welcome to our Happy Startup Community Podcast. Along this journey of building the Happy Startup School, I've had the privilege of meeting amazing people from around the world, whether it was across a banqueting table at our summer camp festival, or sat at a beach cafe in Goa during one of our retreats. Each of them had fascinating stories to tell, and interesting ideas to share that have changed how I look at business and life. This podcast is my effort to share these conversations with you and to open up your horizons to new perspectives and ways of viewing the world. I hope they become a source of inspiration, learning, and connection. Enjoy. In this episode, I have a very honest conversation with Ed Barton, co-founder of Curioscope, about what it's like to build a venture-backed startup What starts off as a classic tech startup story and a window into the world of venture capital evolves beautifully into a raw story about what it's like to be a leader at a personal level. We talk about the struggle and overwhelm that comes with investment and the need to grow. We also discuss how burnout can creep up on you and how difficult it is to recognize until you're on the cusp. Ed offers some very sage advice for any founder, no matter what kind of business you're building, about how to make business life less hard and less effortful. Following on from the last episode on coping with struggle, Ed's story is a real-world case study of what it's really like, and what you can do to make sure you thrive rather than just barely survive. So, for so, welcome to the podcast.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Thank you very much uh, for for joining me here. Um, so the reason. The triggering event for bringing you onto the podcast was uh, our conversation that we had walking back to Brighton from. Where, where did we camp out?
1: Um, near Kingston.
0: Near Kingston. It was about an hour and a half, two hours walk to Brighton, and it was part of our our little men's group gathering. I'm not sure. Are we allowed to talk about men's group outside of men's group?
1: I don't know it's, it's not. It's not quite a Fight Club. <laughs> um, it's almost Fight Club. It's just no, Hizzle. no hitting each other in in our own faces.
0: <laughs> Not in a physical way, anyway.
1: No, in a mental <laughs> way, maybe.
0: In an emotional, mental way, and so uh, I think maybe to give some clarity to people who are listening to this, like myself and Ed are, are members of a group of, of guys who get together on a fortnightly basis to 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 check in. I think, for want of a better term, uh, and check in not purely around beer and football uh, but a more kind of emotional how we're doing how we feeling and what's what's getting in our way kind of way that's how I would describe it my far off? how would you put it
1: um yeah I think a an opportunity to check in and talk and listen um, every couple of weeks which is something that I would say the vast majority of people just do not do at all
0: we um, we get caught up in our own heads and funnily enough actually i just um i just published a podcast today with the author of a guy called john parkin with the author of a book called fuck it the ultimate Sp- spiritual way and we were talking about the struggle and how um people in general but also particularly people in business when they struggle they they retreat into themselves and they try to go to solve the problems on their own uh, and I link, you know, things like this men's group, and I, I've heard of groups like this, are uh, a really useful and powerful way to stop us from retreating and, and and churning, potentially, over ideas. Ruminating, I think is the word. Yes. And so we were, uh, as part of this group, we thought we'd go for a, uh, do a little weekend wild camping and, and, a, and a long walk. Uh, from New Haven to Brighton, which how how far is that?
1: Um, I think I think the whole the whole walk was probably about fourteen or fifteen miles.
0: So it's it's not insignificant, not a massive distance, but it was. I I I was feeling it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I was definitely feeling it after yeah five hours sleep on the floor
0: (laughs) under the stars. It was beautiful weather. That first day was beautiful, yeah, was sunny day, and then yes, sleeping under the stars on the hill um, for yeah, like you said, five hours, and then walking back to Brighton, and then along that journey backwards back to Brighton on the Sunday morning, we we started having a discussion about uh, your work and your journey of building your current business, uh, and it was and I was very. Taken and curious and really intrigued about what that journey was like you know um and i thought it was really important for other people particularly maybe tech founders um people trying to build uh, businesses that are backed by um investment what that feels like what that means and how that works at a business and also personal level um and I thought you had a really powerful story to share that that could help people. So to start off with, um, for those of people who are curious in knowing who you are, why don't you give a little brief description of what you do at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe how you got to to now?
1: Um, yeah. So right right now, um, I run a company called Curoscope and I've been doing this for um about four years now. So curiscopes Mission and kind of reason for existence is to bring learning to life through augmented and virtual reality tech. And um, so we are we do a lot of things. Um, kind of get on to where that's been good and where that's been bad. Um, but we're probably best known for creating a VR experience that's on YouTube called Great White Sharks, which is one of the most viewed VR experiences of all time. Um, been watched thirty five million times. Um, featured by Um, Amazon, Google, Samsung, um, the lot, really. Um, And then more currently for producing a product called the Virtuality, which is a T-shirt that uses augmented reality to let you learn about a human body on a human body. Um, My background um, is, is a little all over the place. Um, I started building websites when I was um, 11 or 12, so a good 20 years ago. Um, One of the first things I did was I started a message board, um, actually when I was 14, which just started off as an internal thing in um, the school, but I then turned it into a national, international thing, weirdly because I was threatened with suspension if I kept it as an internal thing within the school. So I took it down, put it on Google and then um, at the time I was very good at SEO, not necessarily great at SEO anymore, um, but that was getting 100,000 people on it a month and made me have quite a weird teenage life where I was balancing running this website every evening and running it at home and... Quite frankly, when I got to 17, 18, I just wanted to have a normal life Um, and I sold it to go to university and study film, then worked in film for four or five years after university and did all manners of things, Um, have a million and one really, really interesting stories from following Tommy Robinson of English Defence League fame to parties in the top of the Alps where they invite a magician along and it's Darren Brown. Um, all manners of super, super interesting weird things, which is one of the things you get out of working in film. You end up doing a job for like a week Um, and that will often take you to a different part of the world to something that's inherently interesting because if it wasn't inherently interesting it wouldn't be being filmed Um, so definitely interesting stories and interesting memories of that but ultimately it was something that I didn't feel like it was because I think it was a lot of different Weeks, you kind of go from one thing to the next. It wasn't particularly mission-driven, didn't really feel that purposeful. It felt like something that was interesting in the moment, but wasn't interesting long-term. It wasn't really aiming for anything. It wasn't really being impactful. And to be honest, my experience of film was skewed by being in advertising where there's there's not really much value creation going on there you're doing something for a brand and to some extent it's not there's an element of creativity but it's not true unburdened creativity like creating something from scratches um, and that was ultimately what led me back I guess into entrepreneurship and starting Curioscope which I started um, I'd like say, about four years ago now.
0: Cool so Sounds like you you've taken one of those eclectic paths. Um, you mentioned um, the VR video, um, mm-hmm. and that was towards the end of your your filming film career. Or how did how did that then go into scope and and how did that step happen?
1: Um, yeah, this is a good question. I think a lot of people ask me. A lot of people find it quite interesting that my background is not um, a business degree. Um, And I did actually, I got accepted into university to do a business degree and then at the last minute changed my mind and replaced it with television. Um, So I did, obviously did that. And the segue between the two was when I was about 25, I think. I guess I'd have what I'd describe as a quarter life crisis where I was like film is interesting but I just don't think this is where I want to be and I want to give entrepreneurship a shot I then went and took a desk in Ben's company so Ben's now um, my co-founder took a desk in his office with the remit of exploring virtual reality and augmented reality This started off with us doing real estate, which just didn't work. But then actually we got offered the opportunity to film at um, Le Mans um, at the the racetrack for the big event. And personally, that's really exciting. I'm very, very into cars. So the idea of chucking a 360 camera on a car and doing a lap around Le Mans was really exciting to me. That went fantastically well. Um, that was watched five or six million times in 2015. was one of the first videos on YouTube 360. was featured at Google Zeitgeist and gave me a bit of a taste for how this could be something more and how this was potentially the right moment to do something that, sure, creating a film around Le Mans was really exciting for me personally, but perhaps there was something here to explore that could be really interesting for more people than just me, more companies than just Nissan, which was the company we were working for at the time. Um, how could we do something in this new space that did something very different in a new medium? Um, and that was what eventually got us onto creating Curoscope and launching Curoscope with this 360 video about great white sharks. We went to Monterey Bay Aquarium and tried to pitch it to them. And it was too new and too big and to some extent just too exciting for a public institution to want to take on themselves. And so we just went, why don't don't we do it? Like, why don't we create something here? Virtual reality can give you new learning experiences. Why are we waiting for somebody else to pay us to do it? Why don't we just take a couple of months? We've got money coming in from other stuff. Why don't we take a couple of months to really try and make our mark in this new space?
0: Wow. So this was a, sounds like a partly passion project, part opportunity, um, but initially just purely self-funded because you wanted to do it.
1: Yeah, I mean in many ways I would love to go back to that moment because that moment was I think what you realize as you run a startup is yeah sure you don't have a client like you had in the advertising agency world um but you're not you're not unburdened and completely free. There is always a boss somewhere, even if that boss is just um, your customer. But at that time, it was very much a, we just really want to do this. We have the time to do this. We've got a really tight timeline. Can we put something out there that's really impactful? And so in that way, it was it was really pure. It was certainly from my aspect, like the thing that I really enjoy and get into is the business development and the strategy and the strategy of launching this film and speaking to our contacts at google and youtube to get this propelled into the stratosphere and into the ecosystem was really really singular really really focused let's just go out and make this happen and and so many ways was one of the funnest, most interesting moments when running a company,
0: <laughs> and then Curoscope was born. Mm-hmm. Um, can you remember the time, the day, or you know when when that its birth? So even it's like its conception. Can you remember when yeah. that was and how that happened?
1: Um, it was. It was. It, it was quite blurry, um, and I think one of the things that. I wish I had done, in hindsight, was lock some of those days down and just note that they have happened. Um, I remember we were were naive at the start. I remember actually pitching the company to somebody before we'd even called it Curoscope. The notion of pitching a company that doesn't even have a name just seems... (laughs) bonkers to me. Um it kind of seemed bonkers to me at the time, but I didn't really know any better. Um, but I'd say, I'd say the moment that we considered to be the conception was that point of going, look, we've we've got curoscope.com, we've got this film coming out. I think it was January the 3rd or January, January the 4th, 2016. And that was the moment when the veil vale was off so to speak that was the moment when curoscope launched
0: and that those early days um you said you um from the beginning you were looking for investment to make the company happen was that correct mm-hmm. how did that take place and what you know what, what did you need to do to begin with because it was a an name and an idea
1: yeah it's investment was is, is, is an interest, interesting topic for us. I think it was something that we always, certainly I always felt was necessary. One of the big decisions we were really making by starting Curoscope was ultimately to move away from a B2B agency model into a B2C consumer model. I felt and still feel that VR and AR is really exciting and is going to be really big but certainly on the B2C side, there is an element of effectively covering that gap. The market isn't huge right now. And so if you want to be ambitious with the company, if you want to take up, if you want to sell to as as many people as possible and ultimately with a company like ours, it has and really is about how do we impact as many kids as possible? How do we get this product into as many teachers hands as possible? it felt like we really couldn't achieve that vision without raising investment that was that was probably the extent of our understanding at the time i i i kind of went through a really intense learning period about what that actually meant because it's one thing to raise investment to cover you for a couple of years, but that's not really what venture capital is. Venture capital is a really specific form of asset class, which is completely built around certain companies having outsized returns. So the idea that you invest in 10 companies and maybe half of them close, maybe three of them are kind of good companies, quote unquote maybe one of them is a good return, and then one of them potentially returns the entire fund. So you're talking about companies in the US and the UK, companies like Skype or Zoopla or TransferWise or Facebook, Uber, Google. That's, That's what VC and venture capital is after. They are after a company that eventually is probably earning... A billion if not more revenue per year and by taking venture capital on at any stage you become part of that it's not it's very very difficult to be two things and still be laser focused about what you want the company to be so as an example Say hypothetically you're to raise at a five million pound valuation and you were to raise a million pounds, your next investment raise would almost always have to be higher. Um, it's what's called an a normal round, really, but is an up round. Um if you raise less money, it's called a down round, and that basically means you're diluting the company and ultimately. By doing so, venture capital is saying that it doesn't believe you can be a fund returner. What this ultimately means is that actually for angel investors and for anybody other than venture capital, the returns stop working for them and you're to some extent on this manufacturing line of venture capital. That That's fine for some companies, but I think I see a lot of people going into it without an awareness of what exactly that actually means and what it will entail, how long that journey is, how much it's likely to fail, given that a fund only needs to get one company to return its entire size. That's 90% of people that raise investment that maybe aren't going to get an exit at all um
0: so bringing us back to those early days and looking for funding and looking for investment can you remember what that was like and how that felt
1: um yeah it felt it definitely there was a definite strong imposter syndrome there was definitely a strong isolated feeling um often that's the battle that you have it's like you really believe in something but often it's like you against the world because the world isn't set up to invest in everybody it's not set up to support and back everybody the world is set up to work the way the world works and to some extent keep everybody in their silos Um, so Raising investment was about how do I go beyond my network because I didn't know a single investor. I didn't have family who were able to invest in me. Um, I didn't. I didn't know the first thing about it, and and part of that led to me being quite naive. Um, and sometimes, sometimes naivety is actually good when you're trying to get beyond your circle because it means that you try you try and talk to people that perhaps societal constructs would make you feel like you couldn't talk to you otherwise. Um, and so the thing that I chose to do really, really early on in the company's journey was to go out to California um, around what must have been around like March or April 2016 just after we'd launched our Kickstarter campaign, I was like, look, this is the time, this is a really, really hot, interesting space. I'm going to go and raise money in California because that's where investment is. That's where the excitement is. Um, and I was I was met with what I have since discovered is the quite typical American attitude of, this sounds really interesting, you sound really exciting, but either you're really early, you're based in England, um, I don't really know you yet. It's very easy to say you're very excited about something but not actually commit to it. Um, But fortunately, I was able to get one investor at the time, um, a guy called Joe Krause, who was at Google Ventures, to invest in us. Um, and that that was that was the thing that actually made quite a lot of difference. Um, it was a sense of personal achievement I've managed to get someone on who's very very well respected and rightly or wrongly there is a certain herd mentality to investors and when you get one involved and one excited about you it's a Reflection that other people can use that other investors can use to justify their own decisions
0: And so from there you were able to raise the money you needed to to kick start the company?
1: Yes, it took me a year from that point though Um, and actually Yeah, (laughs) you do I don't even consciously recognize that now because often The narrative you tell yourself and you tell other people is that this process happens much quicker but the truth was I had kind of soft commitments from that trip but I went back to the UK having to actually still run a business at the same time so we just finished Kickstarter we just started the process of developing an app and a product we'd never ever done that before um we had brexit happen in between us taking usd and turning it into pounds before it had to be spent as usd um so that devalued our bank balance overnight by 20 25% and and that set off a bit of a a bit of a journey of scrabbling things together to the eventual point where a year ago we finally got investment and we got investment from the investors I wanted all along actually the investors I had originally met in potentially 2015 or early 2016 with a pitch deck that didn't even have the Curiscope name on the front um but it took (laughs) I mean yeah it must have been 12 months from me first meeting them to them actually going look you know what we really we really back you and really believe in you and here's a check and actually from that point our round size doubled we were oversubscribed, which i think is a bit of a startup fundraising cliche um but it's it's nice i guess to have more people than you could need somewhat a product of the just being a lot of capital in the market more than anything else. Um, but still great to have investors that believe in you and you believe they'll really add value because it matters so much. I've seen companies get destroyed, but more personally, I've seen founders get destroyed by having investors that there isn't a good match with like you really go through huge ups and huge downs and my investors know a lot about my life like they know when I've had personal struggles they've known the things that happen in my life because how I act and how I am reflects on the company the company is a small company I'm a very very big percentage of that and everything is really, really tightly linked. So if you don't have good investors on the journey, the sense of, I, I can't even imagine the sense of isolation if you've got nobody in your corner.
0: And so going on to this journey of, you're trying to build this business. It sounds like you've got that badge of honor success. You've got funding. You've got enough, enough funding for you to actually move forward. What was it then like, um, yourself and Ben, um, trying to, those early days of, of building the company?
1: Yeah, so I've I've got a friend who's just, um, just signed his term sheet, and the first thing he is doing is he's going away for six weeks to recharge, to plan, to strategize. We didn't do any of that. We... We raised money and actually I think within two weeks, maybe even within one week, we'd gone to California for a for GDC, so game developer conference, um, for what was a fairly intense couple of weeks of business development. The other big mistake we made, obviously it's kind of easy to say mistakes in hindsight um but the big mistake we made was we'd actually started getting the wheels spinning before we'd raised that money we'd made the call that because we had other projects on we had other money coming in we had other things that had deliverables that we needed to spin up so to speak so we'd already started hiring people we'd moved into a new office um we then moved into another new office um, in June and the, the feelings that I guess I remember most was just a huge sense of being overwhelmed at the volume of decisions and the speed of decisions I suddenly had to make. It was like the money is in our account now it's like we've got our plan we've got our 12 to 18 months let's let's start spending um let's start hiring people let's start let's move into a a good office space that's going to create a productive team effectively going from what was like a three or four person company to a 12 to 14 person company in two to three months so very very quickly at the same time redesigning the packaging for our main product working out our launch strategy for it signed two deals on two other products that ended up launching that year we did way too much is the obvious thing to say in hindsight but I think the more interesting insight into that is we knew that the whole time we knew that from (laughs) almost the moment that year started and I actually wrote a blog post at the end of 2016 talking about burnout and how how I needed to step back and see everything we'd achieved in that year, but i I spoke about burnout. I made a point of recognizing it, but quite frankly, I just dialed it up in twenty seventeen <laughs> um because and and this 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 is a bit of a weird relationship because I don't think it was like yes, there is pressure introduced by investors and yes there is pressure introduced by myself and my own ambition but it was almost it was almost like a kind of dark cloud of pressure that we didn't really feel like we had any control over it just felt like it was happening to us and you just become The biggest takeaway I had from that year and from subsequently running Curoscope is you just become so aware of time. You communicate to your investors, this is how much runway we've got. This is effectively our time to death. Um, And actually communicating that every month and seeing that number go down and sometimes go down by more than a month because You've not been to plan you've spent too much you've earned too little really really was just this sense of a continual ramping up of everything and um, kind of like the um if you put something in a boiling pot of water and you slowly heat it up it's not it's not actually going to recognize um, until the point at which it has been cooked. Um, that's, that's how I viewed 2017 for us. It was just a year of never really stopping to go, should we even be doing half of what we're doing? Um, because actually in hindsight, a lot of it was unnecessary, distracting, and really mm. split our focus.
0: So what I hear there was like, there wasn't, while there is some pressure from investors and there's also your internal drive and motivation, the pressure you put on yourself, you said there's this kind of dark cloud of something else that seems to push forward or add another pressure. And it it sounded very amorphous, not quite clear where that was coming from.
1: Yeah. Is that how Uh, it felt? It's it's how it felt. I think, with hindsight and reflecting on even like the way I'm talking about it, there's there is no way that can exist without it being introduced by myself. There is no way that that can exist without being conceived by either me or somebody around me. But at the time, it definitely felt like it was out of control and even when i recognized it was me being a creator of it it almost felt like removing the fact i've created it would prevent us from achieving our goals it almost felt like a necessary consequence of ambition Mm. which which right now actually sounds really stupid to me um, but at the time, didn't feel like it. It felt like, that we're on this journey, we're all in. And if that means that we've got to work relentlessly to achieve it, then that's what we're going to do. I mean, I say that's what we're going to do. That was what I did. It wasn't really what I expected or asked of my team I didn't think it was fair to ask it of my team but I did think it was fair to ask it of myself Mm. which I've since realized is a really weird abstraction where ultimately I should be being fair on myself because actually being fair on myself creates better outcomes but at the time I, I didn't really see any other Route to making what I wanted to, what we wanted to happen, happen.
0: So, like uh, two things that stand out for me when you were talking, there's um, this kind of feeling of scarcity. This kind of like I, I the image in my head now is like a, um, a timer, one of those sand timers. Forget what they're called now, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's like dripping down, um. And the sand slowly falling away. And that sense of urgency, that sense of scarcity even, that that creates. And then another, the other aspect was this idea of in order to succeed, I must struggle. And struggle is just part of it. And it needs to happen. Did I hear you right? that one on that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... I didn't see any other passage other than struggle. I felt that this 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 was something that wasn't purely investment related. This was getting on. We had a big contract to release a big game at the end of 2017. Um we decided to take on um another project which was launching a book We'd almost decided to take on something with Google as well, but it backed out to that at the last moment. Like That that would have been the thing that killed us. Um, and so, I don't know, Like I almost felt that we'd made this commitment, we'd said that we were doing something, and because we had made that commitment to our investors, to our partners, there wasn't, there wasn't room for walking back on any of that, even if, walking back on that was actually the way to be fair on myself and maybe even be fair on some of those partners and our investors um, to be able to focus on one thing and achieve that rather than doing a number of things separately, but ultimately not as well as we could have. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm very proud of what we ended up getting to at the end of the year, but definitely only one of the things we focused on was a commercial success. And I think, and I heard it so many times across the year, like we probably should have just been doing one of those things. And that would have been fairer on ourselves, more focused, potentially would have created better outcomes um, and better progress as a startup for for our investors and for the company as a whole.
0: So was it? And I think this is this is. I, I hear this story from a lot of people, even for us at the Happy Startup School. There's this doing too many things and not really questioning whether you should be doing them or not. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering with with your experience, it was it a sense of I've committed to this, so I need to finish it, and I can't not finish it.
1: Yes, I think. I, I mean, I even remember talking to. I remember really clearly talking to some entrepreneurs at the beginning of Curioscope's journey and offering them advice. And my one piece of advice to them was focus. Yet, the second we had commitments, and the second we had multiple things going on, I felt a need to finish them and action what i said we could do even if the cost of doing so was me to some extent um i was the person putting myself on the line because i was the person that signed up to them in the first place um and there was and it definitely felt like at that point as much as i knew focus was important and then I would have given myself that advice. Then I did give myself that advice. There was something about the scenario that made me feel like I, I didn't have that choice. Focus was uh, a luxury that I denied myself.
0: So there's all these things, projects that are going on, the need to complete them and finish them, um, the pressure on yourself to, to make that happen while at the same time not pressurizing your team and being very aware that, what I hear you say is like wasn't fair to put that same pressure on them as it as you were pushing on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you cope? <laughs>
1: um, I I th- I think a lot of people around me will say that I I didn't cope that year. Um, I I I, I, I it's, it's an interesting interesting thing to explore as to whether that whether the team felt that. I'm sure they got something like that from me, but I, I think one of the struggles of being a founder is sometimes there is, sometimes it is very good to share with the team, but there is, there is other times when it is right not to share and not to burden people with things you don't know whether are true or not, um, concerns that you just need to explore over time um but quite frankly in 2017 i i didn't really have any coping mechanism i my my coping mechanism was really to just work harder which sounds ridiculous um and was ridiculous but that's that's all i did i think what i had luckily at that point was i had enough energy to do that and i was three years younger, which, um, well, two years younger, it feels like 10 years younger compared to how I feel now, definitely. Um, but <laughs> I, I had I had an energy to keep going, but definitely that point ended really sharply at the end of 2017, whereas I, like if I do anything right now, I've just got to go away for some time and just stop like this is just way too much um and december my co-founder had a baby so i effectively was looking after the entire company in december and when it came around to january i was like we've got a we've got a tag team like i've got to get away from this because i i can't see the woods through the trees like i'm i'm completely burnt out i've got nothing left and i i don't know where we should go next like i need some time to escape um unfortunately at the time i was in a position where i had a little bit of money to be able to go away with and um another entrepreneurial friend of mine happened to just mention in passing four weeks before would you like to go to south africa and i managed to have a week away um Definitely since what I've realized is that burnout is not curable by a week's holiday. Um, Burnout is curable by a considerable amount of time of switching off. Um, Definitely not by six or five days or whatever it was, intensely traveling around a destination. I've
0: heard people describe their experience of burnout of not knowing that they were burnt out until a certain point and and actually being in the burnout but yeah. not even realizing it is that does that resonate is that yeah. how it was for you
1: um i i think I think so in 2017. i I've, I've since i think what's interesting about what's happened since is that I definitely detect a uh, like a sliding scale of burnout where A lot of the time I consider myself quite near the top end of that, but perhaps I wouldn't register that as burnout until the point at which something kind of momentous happens, I guess, like a point where I'm like, whoa, 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 this is too much. I think one of the challenging things about that for me, though, has been Often the point where I've registered that I'm burnt out is something external happening. So it's not even been... It's not like been my body's just kind of come up against it. It's been like I've been operating at 100% capacity. Something else gets thrown at you. Life throws things at you all the time. And suddenly a realisation that... Wow, I just don't have any bandwidth to deal with this. And the only way I can deal with this is to shut down some aspect of my work life or like try and claw that back or just flat out stop. Um, So there have been a number of moments like that over the last three or four years. And I try to employ coping mechanisms like regularly booking off holiday and not waiting to the point where i need a holiday but actually just forcing that point a little bit more um but i definitely still find that i mean even even as i'm talking about this right now like i i wouldn't say i'm burnt out but i probably would say i'm like 70 to 80% of the way there um hmm. so and I, and i feel that i feel like a really strong sense of energy for what i'm doing and how important that is and you really notice when you're at that kind of 80% burnout stage because that's the point where characteristics that i think are really integral to running a company um, resilience positive energy determination ambition at the point where you're at 80% like energy depleted is the point where impossible starts being really impossible and getting knocked down really does knock you down. And that can send you to quite horrible spaces because you don't really have the bandwidth left to effectively like soften that blow. If you're at 20% capacity and something hits you that's 30%, 40% type bad news, then that brings you down to 0% and you've got nothing left to to work with to fight the bad news or find a way around it or react positively or whatever it is you need to do. Um, you don't have that in you anymore. And that's that. That I think is the moment that people are talking about when they're like, "That's the moment the burnout hits you when you've just not got any energy to react to it." And for some people, that can be really, really unhealthy. Like I've heard of people my age having heart attacks um, because that moment's hit them and they've just got nothing to work with.
0: Cool. So you mentioned. Um regularly making sure you you regularly schedule holidays and taking some time out are there other things that you've you've tried to practice or put in place to help with sounds like managing your energy and also reclaiming clarity
1: and so the most the most important things that definitely haven't made a 100% difference but have clawed back kind of 5% here and there is maintaining some form of regular schedule has really made a difference to me. Um, So that includes trying to go to the gym at certain times trying to go to bed at certain times, trying to get 8 hours sleep. Um, I play football every Monday evening and have done almost without fail now for two years. That forces me to finish my day at half past five. Um, And then one of the really big things that I do fairly religiously now and will actually be going on to um, do this afternoon once I've um, finished recording this is every Wednesday afternoon, I turn my laptop off, I turn my mobile off and I just go and sit in a coffee shop by the beach in Brighton um when it's when the weather is appropriate um but if not a coffee shop somewhere in Brighton and I just sit with a notepad so it's it's work time but it's work time without distraction and in a place where I'm genuinely happy um like it might just be a small moment but I live in Brighton so getting time by the sea is is an important aspect of that and it's a really easy thing to slip um and just sitting with a nice cup of coffee and having time that is genuinely devoted for me is is really important I think to maintaining a balance where I don't feel like I'm subservient to what I've created if that makes sense I don't feel like the company is controlling me that is my opportunity to step back and go how can I solicit time for myself and how can I maintain control about the control of the company so that's my time to think about what am I missing am I burnt out is there anything that I'm just not seeing because I'm so close to it it's my moment to do the things that I wish I'd done in 2017 where I go Look, are we doing too many things? Should we just be thinking about this, this differently? And I find forcing that with regularity, even if there's nothing really to think about, makes thoughts come out and at the very least offers me like a retreat away from um, the everyday. Like it can, it can very, you can really, really quickly be drawn into a startup being. CEO of a startup just being like this kind of like to do list machine where you've got to sign a contract, you've got to interview an employee, you've got to message a potential partner, you've got to have a catch up meeting with one of your employees, you've got to discipline an employee, you've got to coach an employee. There's like, there's so many things that you've got to do all the time that. You're, you're, there's never going to be a scenario where you're ever able to get one hundred percent of everything done, and um, so you just need to schedule time that lets you get comfortable with that, and lets you know that actually, if at the end of the day I've done one or two important things, that's that's good. Like that's a good day, well accomplished. I don't need to have done a hundred little tasks to be being good at my job. Mm-hmm.
0: So there's there's carving out time for yourself to be more in control of what you want to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, the conversation I had on an earlier podcast around tackling with you know struggle and overwhelm you mentioned the value of talking to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that has that been something beneficial to you? Have you brought that into your work or the way you want to work?
1: Yeah, I mean this a few a few invest investors have actually started um not enforcing this but offering this as an option for first time or second time founders is actually connecting them with an executive coach and supporting them i weird i I find like this is this the blessings of hindsight i i find i find it very weird that i thought this way in 2017 but I just felt like I didn't have time to speak to somebody else. I also felt like if I was going to speak to somebody else, they'd just tell me what I already knew. But thinking in that way often like denied myself a chance to get close to that moment. So, for example, in 2017, I knew... I needed to focus. I knew that was the thing I needed to do. An executive coach would tell me I needed to focus. So therefore, why do I need an executive coach? Because I already know that. But the problem with that is that actually what happens then is I know I need to focus, but I never have to confront that. So I ignore it for a year and I burn out. And I would say the best advice... I could give to absolutely any first time founder, but really any any founder full stop, is have somebody you can speak to in complete confidence and say absolutely anything to. Um, I think it's very, very hard to find that as a founder of a company. My investors have vested interest. My co-founder has his own world and his own interest. My employees, I can't, there's there's some employees you can speak to, but definitely there are certain things that you have to shoulder on yourself. There are certain decisions that you have to go through um, that maybe I can chat to uh, my girlfriend Charlotte about, but she's not going to be able to view it with the same perspective that I can because she's not an entrepreneur and actually that's great. Like it's great not to be in an entrepreneurial setting 100% of the time. But sometimes it's just really, really valuable to share thoughts and hey, maybe all that comes out of it sometimes is I'm told what I already know, but at least I've got to a point of clarity on that. At least I've got to a point that's actually confronting and dealing with that rather than just assuming i know everything and quite often missing out on your blind spots um there's a did a did a executive coach kind of um training moderation session last week and there's a quadrant can't quite remember the name of it um, but it talks about the things that you visibly know about yourself the things that other people know about you, but you don't know about yourself. And then often the things that you don't know about yourself and nobody knows about you. And it's really interesting to probe deeper into those things to find out what they are because you're never going to... They allow you to understand how... They allow you to understand yourself much better and um, they allow you to understand how to work with other people a lot better. Um, and I generally just think they, the greater sense of awareness that's created is quite transformative in just enabling me to act with a greater clarity about who I am and what I'm good at. And um, even going through something like a 360 feedback with. My investors and employees and co founder feeding back on me brought out some things that I know, but it also gave me a greater confidence in my strengths, in the things that maybe I wasn't too sure that I was really good at, but that other people thought I was great at. And confidence is important. Believing in yourself is important when that's part and parcel of running a company and running a startup is... Believing in yourself and believing in what you're doing when often the world seems not stacked against it, but there are obstacles in your way.
0: So the story you've told of entrepreneurship so far um, sounds pretty challenging. There are lots of difficulties. There's a scope for burnout. There's pressure. um, There's many decisions to be made but um, I have the feeling that it's still something you find very valuable as a way of life Mm -hmm. and yeah what is it about entrepreneurship that you would say is is that you find really um, appealing and and how do you view
1: it so so for me I yeah I I had I had this dilemma four or five years ago so I'm I'm a cameraman I'm doing pretty well at this I am I've got a number of successes under my belt but is is there something else here that could be really interesting and really exciting and develop me as a person so that I think is the main thing that I like about entrepreneurship it really forces me to challenge myself every day to improve myself to um do things I perhaps would otherwise believe I couldn't do um and to really challenge aspects of my personality that I'd like to improve so for example um I'm still not great at it but I three or four years ago I was a nervous wreck when doing public speaking um I couldn't I really struggled in one-on-one interviews like I I I'm just a inherently kind of shy person and running a startup being a CEO like you don't need to be an extrovert but it forces it forces you into scenarios that would be easy to back away from otherwise um and challenges you in ways that you couldn't predict so Every day of running a company um, throws up really interesting new things. Whether that's um, how to structure a contract, how to strategize over the next three, four, five years, how to deal with finances, how to work on business relationships, how to deal with investor relations, and um, how to be creative, how to create products that people love, how to market them, you get to you get to do a lot of different things. And I think for some people, that's really interesting and really exciting. Some people need the stimulation and the challenge of doing new things all the time and um, learning self-improvement. These are all things that entrepreneurship offers. And yeah, there's there's a lot of negativity on the other side of it. and um it it can be very very hard um and i think for people external to entrepreneurs it sometimes seems like why are you making life so difficult for yourself um and there's definitely times when i ask myself that <laughs> um why am i making life so difficult for myself um and that's and that to be honest is a good question to ask myself every week like how could i be making life easier for myself because startups by design definitely like definitely make life difficult but the entrepreneurs that are really like getting somewhere with their companies and like really moving in a good direction you start to get into a, a state of flow where actually every day is challenging but the wheels are turning in a positive direction and you're moving always and that's a really exciting space to get into where um it almost kind of feels like the energy of the world is moving around you um and entrepreneurship is very very unique in that respect like i don't i think it's very very hard to find elsewhere Mm.
0: the phrase um entrepreneurship is a journey of self-discovery springs to mind yes Um, this idea of um, pushing your boundaries um it reminds me also the way you're talking about personal growth and challenge and discomfort of i think it's how lobsters grow that they grow inside their shell until it gets so tight that the outer shell breaks Mm -hmm. and then the new shell grows underneath very cool and it's that it's the discomfort comes with the growth, or the growth comes with the discomfort. Yeah. And so, uh, entrepreneur, to think of entrepreneurship purely as being a businessman and making lots of money, I think um, devalues and also misses out on what other aspects it provides a, an individual in terms of the adventure the excitement, yes, the stress, but I think the stress is potentially always self-generated. Yep. Um, how you react to it is about that journey of understanding who you are and and how you want to behave in the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's an important point, I think, around stress. And I think one thing that I've learned definitely in the last year is... Sometimes there's things you can't control. Um, I think that's one of the things I really struggled with initially was I felt like I needed to have control over everything. But I think as you grow as a person, you start to realize that both personal life and business life is going to throw problems at you all the time. Um, some of these problems are going to be completely unresolvable but um every everything continues regardless of that um just because I might have a terrible moment one day but looking back on that a year later I can't even remember what it was um it's insignificant (laughs) um and I think it's about starting to definitely now I feel like I've just started to realize that yeah, sometimes, sometimes the universe is gonna deal deal me hard blows, but um, all all I can do is do my best, um, and all I can do is look after myself in that journey. Because, um, because yeah, I mean, I, you can uh, you can only expend so much energy to um, things you have no bearing or force over.
0: It's wonderful. It's great. Well, thank you very much for this. I, I feel it's going to be really valuable for anyone uh, either starting out or in the middle of this entrepreneurial journey uh, and trying to work out how to deal with the overwhelm and the stress. And, and it's great to hear from someone who's experienced it and is going through it and is working out how to cope. So I'm really grateful for this conversation. Yeah, yeah,
1: likewise. I mean, I think I think the best advice is, just speak to and listen to other founders because it doesn't matter how big the company or how supposedly successful the person, almost every founder is going through an identical situation of some sort. It just might have a few more zeros on the dollar or pound amount, um, but ultimately (laughs) the issues are all the same. Um, and yeah speaking to other people makes such a difference to me not to create solutions but just to know that you're not there on your own
0: thanks for listening to this happy startup school community podcast if you'd like to find out more about what we do then check out our website thehappystartupschool.com if you believe that there's more to life and business than making money and waiting for retirement and if you want to surround yourself with other like-minded change makers and entrepreneurs who want to make money do good and be happy then please come join our community we offer courses conversations and content that will help you follow your own path to success whether you're just starting out struggling to grow your business or in a position of leadership and trying to work out what's next there's no reason to face these challenges alone when you can be supported by people like you who want you to succeed. And from Friday the 13th to Sunday the 15th of September, we're hosting our Happy Startup Summer Camp. While we know that strictly isn't summer, the event also isn't just for startups. At its core, Summer Camp is about learning, play and friendship. We want to promote personal growth and business. We advocate holding our work lightly so that we can be more creative. And we know that we can't create impact on our own. We need to work with others that give us energy and support. As well as inspirational talks, we've got activities and experiences such as blingo bingo, botanical brew making, yoga, mindful raving, saunas, hot tubs, lake swimming, Japanese sword fighting, qigong breathing, and dancing. Lots of dancing. To find out more about summer camp, Please go to happystartupsummer.camp. Business doesn't have to be boring and it definitely shouldn't be lonely. I hope you can find your tribe with us this September.